Hi there, and welcome back to the Creative Endeavor Podcast. This is the podcast bringing you inspiring stories from creative professionals from around the world. You know the drill. It's real conversations with real artists. And I'm Andrew Tischler. It is such a pleasure to have your company here once again. In this episode, I'm talking to Joe Paquette, round two. Now, I've spoken to Joe a little while ago, and he left an impact on me that really helped push my art to another level. Now, Joe's the kind of guy who's all in. He reminds me to not think so much about what I'm doing, to get out of my dang head and get back into my heart and really feel what I'm doing. These sorts of conversations really do impact me in such a positive way. And that's why I'm so excited to share this with you. Now, Joe is one of the finest plain air painters that I've ever seen. And he's not only got an incredible technical approach to the way he does things, but it's how he approaches things that I find so interesting and inspiring. His paintings just look effortless, like they're breathed onto the surface. But what's really fun is just geeking out with him about art. There were so many takeaways in this conversation that it's going to take a few listens. And I think each time I listen to this, just personally, I'm going to find something new. And so I really hope this conversation does that for you as well. I hope this impacts you like it did for me. Now, right now, if you're not already following Joe on Instagram, he can be found at Pocket Joe. His last name is spelt P-A-Q-U-E-T. And also on his website at JoePocket.com. Make sure you're following his work there. In addition to the audio version of this podcast, there's some reference to some visuals. And so you can find the full video version now on my main YouTube channel. And I'm going to link to that in the description or the show notes that accompany this audio podcast. But also, Joe has very kindly agreed to share with me some images of his paintings out in the field. And I'm going to put these up on my online academy. So make sure you're following Tish Academy. I'll put a link in the description that accompanies this podcast as well. Now go put the coffee on, get the brushes out, squeeze those oil paint tubes out, get ready to go. You're in for a real treat. Here's two hours of creative inspiration for you. Oh man, I can't wait to share this conversation with you. Without further ado, here's Joe Paquette in The Creative Endeavor. Welcome to the Creative Endeavor Podcast, round two. It's so good to have you back. Oh, man. Uh, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So look forward to visiting with you. Awesome. Awesome. So how's it been going? What's what's new in your world? Not, uh, well, just painting. Uh, just got back from a painting trip, and uh, those are always intense. And uh, uh, kind of, I think if I, if I do it right, then I push myself a little bit further into... Uh, a new zone, a different place when I'm working because it's so intense that you get right to the edge of your tether and then you go just a little bit further. And uh, it's like expanding that elastic of your awareness 
uh, and the that intensity of stretching that muscle and then seeing what else is there you know yeah yeah that's it's there's something about the way that you do things and that constant pushing that I see in your art it's it's really next level and I just want to touch on something that happened recently well I say recently this this year has been a blur my friend it's just been boom and it's gone <laughs> and, and but it, it seems like just just uh, not even a week ago that you and I were talking and you really gave me an idea it really built a fire under me that this is the effect you've had on me just personally speaking you know with that painting that I was doing down there from from the shoreline and then getting your feedback on it Joe, you're you're operating at another level, man. And I'm not I'm not saying that just to blow smoke, but there was something that you said. It just it landed with me. It really hit home. I, I maybe that that would be something worth talking about because I'll tell you what it was for me. It was again this conversation that we had in our last in our last chat, which is that battle between the internal and external. I found I got oh, too much wrapped up in the external. I lost yeah. touch with the internal and it was showing in my work and my work was suffering. And I think you could probably see that in my initial two plain airs that I, I got your feedback on. But then when you gave me that feedback, man, I'm just like, that. this is this is the zone that I need to be in. And ultimately ended up in a, as a different painting, you know? Well, you took it and ran with it too. And I think that's the other part of it. I mean, certainly you, you can lead a horse to water, you know? I've been teaching for a very long time and... Uh, you know, sometimes all you hear are ricochets, <laughs> you know, you're, 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 my heart's in the right place when I'm trying to help people, but uh, their level of reception is is varied and wholly up to them, really. And, and that has an awful lot to do with um, preconceptions and ego and things like that. You know, people have a certain idea about how something should be. Mm. I had somebody tell me that once that they said, you know, you have a certain idea how things should be. And it's not always that way. And they were right. So I think part of it is just that to use the Marine motto, adapt, improvise and overcome. Right. I mean, to, to the ability to be surprised. Yeah. And uh, so many people uh, and you've taught a lot. I've taught a lot. And I worked a lot with professionals, people that have been amazingly good at other things in their lives. You know, and, and renowned in many cases. And so the, the, the impulse is to try to be renowned at this. Yeah. And this is, that's, that, that's not going to get you very far. And if you're going to do that, you're going to start hunting around for gimmicks. And, and uh, you know, like we talked about, you know, uh, the, the, you know, the, you know, the workshop Frankenstein, the people that gather all the mannerisms of the instructors because they look they think there's a shortcut and there is no shortcut i mean i was explaining this to some people this week some friends that i got together with former students uh for dinner and uh one of them said well so you know tell me about this last trip you did out to california and the work that you did because i really love the seems like you're pushing in you know another another level and i said uh, the best way i can describe it well, there's two things. One is because I think visually. Imagine like painting as being this thing. When I first started studying years ago out of art school with John Osborne, I remember, you know, it was this paragon, right? It's this big, big thing uh, that, you know, you stare up at. And then after a while, you're on this trackless plane and you can see into the distance and there's, 
in the far back there, there's a curtain back there and you just go and you go and you go and you work and you study and you draw and you paint. Hopefully you read and, and just take, take in as much as you possibly can about the past, learn what you can, but connect to what's in front of you. And you go and you go and you, you oh my God, I, there it is. I'm finally there. And then you get there and there's a curtain and you pull back that curtain. And then there's another trackless plane <laughs> with another curtain in the distance. And so what it comes down to for me is nuance. And it's the answer that nobody really wants to hear. I mean, there's there's levels or there's fractions on fractions on fractions with value, with drawing, with color, with with making subjective choices about unity and variety, where you're going to enhance information, where you're going to diminish information, how you lead the eye, or if you're going to trap the eye, how you move the eye through the canvas. And so I'm just constantly making these uh, for, for growth for me is nuanced study and and like i said there's nothing sexy about that right it's not like oh my god he's using a new medium or he's using a, a special brush or any of those things it's it's um it's deepening one's sensitivity which we've talked about and then the 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 desire to push further and say more and 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 to try to you know, uh, I don't know. I, I just think of Osborne all the time. This my great mentor after I got out of art school, John Philip Osborne. He said, "You know, anybody can paint the golden hour." He said, "It takes a really great artist to paint in the middle of the day," and I never forgot that. You know, that idea of painting, being able to paint in the middle of the day. And um, when I was out in Catalina, I did. Uh, I don't know if you can call up my Instagram while you're sitting there, but. Oh, yeah. I did a little a little 12 by 8, and it was a little uh, stream, almost dry, with a cluster of houses on the right-hand side. And um, that uh, it, and it's top light, so that there's raking light on variegated colored houses in the middle of the day. And it was and I'm so glad that I just been gotten back into the sheer joy of drawing. I know you've done that as well. I've seen that. And I take these periods where I just draw and draw and draw and draw. And I'm so glad I did because, you know, the perspective and everything. And this is a very small painting. I think I, I, I got a start on it and then came back the next day and finished. I actually spent two sessions on this little 12 by 8 inch painting. But it pushed me into a kind of a slightly different level of that nuance that I'm referring to, I guess I'd say. Uh, a while ago, I, I interviewed Virgil Elliott who wrote this book called Traditional Oil Painting, which I've referred to a bunch in my teaching. And I've got a lot of time for Virgil. And he was saying something like, and this this will always stick with me. And I don't know if it was his quote, but he said, um, talking about art is like dancing about architecture. And I just I just love that because we're talking about stuff here where it's it's really hard to find a strategy there. And I, I have a lot of, Hard, I have a hard time stepping out of a mechanistic view of like, here's the nuts and bolts. Here's the strategy for how to do it. And, and I'm looking for like what you were saying about like, here's a combination of colors you can use. Here's the medium that you can use. Here's a one, two, three systematic approach. At a certain point, you've just got to breathe and sit with it and be with it for a little while. And that's something that I find I keep coming back to is this lesson where it's like, it, you're not going to think your way at a certain point. You're not going to think your way into being a better painter. 
you might not even work your way into being a better painter, although time is really important. But there's a there's a certain letting go and allowing this thing to come through, getting out of your head. Man, I keep coming up against this lesson time and time again. I feel like I'm there right now, to be honest. And and well, why but, not? Why not put it this way? Why not uh, feel your way to a better painting instead of think your way to a better painting? You know, there's a, it's a huge difference between a mark that's felt and one that's intellectualized. They're completely yeah. different. You know. Yeah. And if you feel, if you look at the rhythms, these organic rhythms that exist in nature, whether it's in the figure or, uh, uh, you know, or outdoors, that everything is rhythmic and hierarchical, everything is connected to everything else. And there's this glorious, truly uh, lovely golden thread that moves through everything, you know, and uh, where everything becomes one thing. Yeah, I can always tell if I look at somebody's painting, if they start with the sky and they work, work their way down to the bottom. It doesn't matter how good the painting looks when it's finished. It's been considered in pieces. I mean, the, the great, the great, greats, early Corot, my God, I would, what I would give, you know, we always talk about what if you could spend an afternoon with somebody and have a glass of wine, I'd sit with the 29-year-old 20, Corot in Rome. That's who I'd sit with. What he was doing at the time was amazing. He said, I think I mentioned it before, he said, when painting outdoors, it should be like a child blowing up a balloon with every breath that it affects the whole thing. So in other words, you're constantly working the entire picture. It's not like you're, I'm developing this area and then I'm going to develop this and I'm going to develop that. And you're jumping around. So you, you've been, what hop, happens often is that you know, people will render their way through a problem. Right? They render it until it's complete, but it doesn't mean that it's been nature's been deconstructed and organized and clarified. And to, to me, that's what the, the, the great painters, in my estimation, have done with nature. They deconstruct it and they visually clarify it. They're not copying it. They're not rendering it. They may be painting what's in front of them, but there's a myriad of um, subjective choices that go on with all of the craft. And then the, the, the other intangible, which is what you're referring to, is this, uh, this, uh, the ability to let go and maintain control, right? The, the great irony, a paradox, to be able to say, I'm going to give over to making a mark and I'm going to risk, I'm going to exhale and make this mark and I'm going to put it down and I'm going to leave it. You know, it's not like a wrestling match. You know, where you're pinning somebody to the ground and you go, wait till they say uncle. I mean, people beat paintings into submission very often. And it might look uh, like a photograph when it's done or whatever, but there's no exhale left in it. You know, so combina the combination of, of feeling something and, and connecting to your subject and that kind of unbroken infinity loop of the energy that passes between you and the subject. And the allowance of that while maintaining the humility to receive it and not going out and saying, I'm going to paint a Joe Pat cat or I'm going to paint an Andrew Tischler. I'm, I'm going out. I'm, of course, I'm painting a Joe Paquette. But what's in front of me is so much more grand than anything I could ever uh, hope to, to, uh, to create. But what I can do is tap into the beauty of that creation, right, at best. And tap into it from a from a heart level or a soul level, 
uh, it sounds pretentious, but it's really true, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, again, th these words that you're saying right now, they're really landing with me because I, I <laughs> got this little voice in my head going, guilty, guilty, guilty. <laughs> the beating paintings into submission, the, uh, this this really mechanistic you know view of things you know the the start with, oh goodness Joe start with the sky work your way forward I mean th there's a method that I that I teach and um, you know it 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 works as a method but again it's it's picking up that golden thread again isn't it it's it's picking up All right, let that. me let me you I assume you've done a lot of figure drawing in your time. Not enough. And actually, no. Uh, I, the last real figure drawing that I did was maybe five years ago. And then and then I, I, I did it back in university. But I haven't gotten into figure drawing for many, many years. So I, and it's something that I really would love to get back into. But I've noticed that you've been posting a lot, a lot of figure drawings. Yeah, well I, well, I mean, it was, it was my first love in art school. I was studying graphic design and illustration. But when I... Uh, found figure drawing I, I wanted to someday maybe be a really fine draftsman that was a goal of mine when I was in school and I, I studied and I and I drew from the figure as much as I could uh, and then when I opened my own studio with uh, my friend Jeff Hernenko many years ago 1998 I think it was here in St. Paul um, you know uh, i thought we need a drawing class here and so i'd asked a friend uh, who had come through the atelier system and he said no i don't really you know we didn't really do a lot of gesture drawing i learned to draw accurately fast through gesture uh and and um that was really important to me that idea of maintaining um uh, momentum or a liveliness or the the sense of life or, or implied movement and so when I started teaching drawing, I did it uh, almost, and you know, I'm sure I'll be, a lot of people will not like this who come through the studio systems or atelier systems where they, you know, start with sight size and they measure it and they check and then they draw on an angle and then they draw the curve within the angle, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I, I've always taught in reverse. I've always said to the students uh, when I taught it here, I'd hold up a drawing on the break and I'd say, okay, friends, uh, while the model was resting, what's wrong with the drawing? Everybody just shouted out, the legs are too long. Okay, yeah, the legs are too long. How did you know? I just knew. I said, okay, let's start with that premise. Let's start with intuition first because intuition promotes a greater possibility of risk when you draw. If you, try, if you just go at it and you look for that big movement and then the movement that counters it and you can find those very quickly, you know, on my site, there's a bunch of two minute poses. And I learned to get draw fairly accurately, fast, getting the essence of something down, but also relating one side of the figure to the other so that you're not building it up out of popsicle sticks and then kind of filling it in later. Because the, the issue that I have with it is not that, that, that it's not a fine way to teach people to see. The problem is it never promotes risk. And you're starting with science or measurement, and then you when you're gonna when you add in the poetry later, you can't add poetry on top of science. It's putting whipped cream on a cinder block. It's still a cinder block underneath. 
But if you start with poetry and then serve it with science, which has always been my philosophy, okay, start with intuition, take it as far as you can, exhale into the market, as much movement and connectivity in there, then measure it. And that seemed to be a really effective way of getting people to at least move towards the risk necessary to get that sense of exhale into something. That's a keeper. Whipped cream on a cinder block. I love it. <laughs> I've got to it's ask all how it it's all It's all how it begins. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, I, I know I'm going to come away from this podcast again just sitting in my studio just going okay okay get back in touch you know feel this and get out of your dang head it's uh, it, this is the effect you have on me personally joe i just i just absolutely love it i i'm i'm almost cringing before i ask you this question um <laughs> okay be, because i but i i'm i'm really curious to to hear what you think about it about this thing that's going on, because this is the the you know the epitome of of mechanistic of of just uh, there's something about it that feels quite dumb. But I, I'm I'm still I'm still working out exactly what's going on. It kind of also freaks me out, and that's AI art. Surely you've come across this, Joe. Oh how yeah. Do you, how do you feel about this? There's a lot of artists out there that are losing their minds right now. A lot of digital artists that are just like I'm I'm out. You know, what, what is this? This is a paradigm shift. And, and I'm, I'm really, really eaten up with it at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, I think it's, it's good to be uh, wary. You know, there's a lot of people who talk about the importance of progress and all that. And I don't disagree with the importance of progress, but I think we are advancing faster than we are aware of the potential pitfalls of the advances that are coming. I mean, if you, Listen to Elon Musk years ago with Stephen Hawking and a couple others. He wanted to put a, a, a um, controls on AI, on the development of it, because he 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 said, "You don't want to get inside my head. You don't want to know what I know." And here's the problem with AI, Chat GBT, for example. You know, a, a human editor has always been really important because a really good editor. Uh, is able it's like a, it's like somebody who can translate Kafka uh, uh, or or translate Rilke uh, in order to translate it and maintain the 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 the, the essence of the truth of what they're saying but still uh, be they have to uh, factor in this as a human element that's involved there that brings those two things together and years ago, I remember when the computer got real hot in advertising and I was working as a staff illustrator. It was my last full-time job. This is, oh my God, a long time ago, 28 years ago. And uh, they were used in the computer and then in the art department. It, it had been a room filled with old drafting tables. It was fantastic. And I did drawings and paintings, designed figurines and all kinds of stuff for them. And uh, But I also had a design background. I was an art director and all that. So uh, they hired me to could do this kind of crossover job. And the, there was a, a, a real techie that they had in, in, the, in the office. And he was so excited about the computer and the Wacom tablet. And, oh, my God, it's exactly like drawing on a piece of paper. I said, the hell it is. It's nothing like drawing on a piece of paper. He said, it looks exactly the same. I said, this is what happens. Here's, and this is the essence of the problem that I have with all of this. The second you draw on a tablet, it takes your mark and turns it into a mathematical language 
that recreates that line that you made. Whatever energy you put into that mark has been completely transmuted into a mathematical language and becomes, it becomes an image. But whatever feeling that you wanted to move through there is not going to move into that mathematical language. It doesn't happen. The reason you can stand in front of the unfinished slaves by Michelangelo, which I think are some of the greatest pieces of art ever made, more important to me than the David, even for a lot of reasons. But when you stand in front of it, you can feel something coming off the stone. Now, how is that possible? Right? But the work of art can only give off what you give it. And there are so many people out there online right now, and they're certainly talented people pecking away with their little brushes on these giant crashing waves or cowboys or this or that. And the paintings look so real. Well, of course they look real because they're, they're photographic and they're cinematic and they're in high definition. And that's what we're used to seeing, right? But at least those paintings, if the artist is making a mark, still has a chance to imbue that painting with whatever they felt when they made it. The problem that I have right now, and I'm seeing it, I've seen it in a lot of different podcasts where artists are like, oh, yeah, I'm using AI now to help design my paintings. You know, I'm using AI to, to change the light effects on the paintings and this and that. Boy, I'll tell you, every time you do that, that's like, uh, th that's like telling that story to 10 people and seeing what happens to the story at the end. And I think the, the thing that gets lost is the humanity. You still have an image, but the humanity has gone. And that right there is my issue with it as well. Um, I think that if you are, if you are going to delegate that part of your creative process, you might as well get someone else to eat your lunch for you too. Like, what, no what's joke. The, what's the point of 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 this? And so, when, when I was talking about this in a video to to my students on my online academy, um, I was saying, you know, that, that really. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this as well. I was trying to boil this down to three things, you know, for the people that were, were kind of losing their heads about this or other people that were also even excited about this as well, is that art fundamentally has three things as far as I can see it. You're, you're creating a product, you know, just to boil it down to, to brass tacks here. You, you've got a product, you've got a thing that you make. But you also, as an artist, professionally speaking, are providing a service. You can use your skills and what you've, what you've learned to be able to do something for someone else. But then the third component is the process, the act of actually making it. And that's something that you're engaged in that's heartfelt, as we're, we're talking about here, that's so important to almost get lost in, to really, to really enjoy and celebrate. It's, a, it's, a, it's almost a sacred space that you've created in your studio doing your thing. And, and it seems that people have lost touch with that. How are you going to get a computer to do that? And I, I even had some comments uh, on, on a recent YouTube video where I was designing paintings on a Wacom tablet, yes, but just compositionally and stuff. But it still had to go through the head to the hand and I was seeing that on the screen. There was no photography even. I would not allow myself to drag a photograph into the program and draw over the photo. It all had to be generated by me. And, and I do love digital art. But, you know, somebody was like, AI's got you whipped. You might as well just press a button. I'm like, you're, you're, you're kind of missing the point here. That it has to be this thing that comes through you, right? Otherwise, what are we doing here? Yeah, well... 
Well, well, hopefully, yes. I, you know, there's there's a couple of things, and and one of them I I, I respectfully will will take a little bit of an issue with, and it's not an issue with you. I don't use the word product. You make a product in your mind; it's a product. It's a thing. It's a widget. Yeah. I don't think of these things as things. I think of them as these pieces of my life that I poured my life into. And so it turns out that I sell that thing, but I won't call it a product. And so I'm not reprimanding you. Please understand. I'm just explaining my perspective. Uh, It's because I think we talked a little bit about this idea earlier. Like to me, it's the origin of everything. It's how everything begins. Right. And so if, 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 uh, and that's why I would rather draw on a piece of, uh, on a piece of paper and, and work out my thumbnails and work them out on a tablet. I'd rather do it organically on a piece of paper uh, because, well, and, and again, this is not any disparagement of, of your process or anybody else's process. I'm just explaining why. Uh, and I, and I don't know if I ever shared this story with you. It's a, it's, it's a funny story so, of how things begin, right? Like I had this uh, friend for years, his tragic flaw was he was always interested in somebody that was already engaged with somebody else. Not, not literally engaged, but he was always interested in people that were either getting out of a relationship or something like that, you know? Anyway, he just, we'd meet at the coffee shop and get one more story. And one day I just kind of was looking down at my coffee and he goes, what's, what's the matter? He said, you have something to say? I'm like, no, no, I got nothing to say. He said, no, you have something to say. I said, okay. I said, here's the thing. Even if this worked out with this particular woman in this moment, you're always going to be that guy that was there to pick up the pieces. You're not going to be the guy she heard uh, reading your poetry across the room or, or, uh, or, or read that book that you wrote or that beautiful piece of music that you played and said, I got to meet this person. You're the guy who's, who's doing cleanup. That's all that. And, and that's important. That's why I say this, how a painting starts the origin, everything of it, the seeds of its origin are to me intensely important. And if the origin is mechanical, you know, that like to me, that's that's antithetical to where I want to be. You know, I, I, I'll i be honest with you. I love the sound of a piece of charcoal, a pencil on a paper. I love all of it. I like the smell of it when I when I sharpen a pencil or. Uh, you know, I uncap a, 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 a you know a tube of cat orange, like everything about this. And so with drawing, with painting and everything, the, the more pure that I can keep it, the more organic and in, uh, keep the humanity part of it intact with me connecting directly to the materials all the time and trying to keep that unbroken loop. Like to me, then I have a better chance of possibly holding on to that, Right. So it's, it, it's, it's how that thing begins. It's like being a parent. You're a parent, okay? I've got uh, three kids that I love, they, but you're always a parent, no matter what. You might be friendly with your kid, but you're always a parent. That's how it started. But if your painting starts from a place that's inorganic or purely pictorial or, uh, or mechanical, and that's just my opinion, what you're, 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 you're already starting with one foot nailed to the floor. And again, that might sound extreme to people, but it's just my opinion. Hmm. That it's 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 an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting thought. I certainly take that, you know, in regards to AI. But you know, what what you say is true. Whilst I I do enjoy the digital process, 
I, I must say, and, and this is nothing against digital artists who might be listening to this, because I got a bunch that listen to the podcast. You know, I, I, I too, I just, I love the smell of paint. I love the smell of, of pure gum turpentine in the studio. I, I do. I, I, as you were saying, the sound of charcoal on paper absolutely are sanding down the tip of the pencil to get the right tapered point to make the right mark. There's something about it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing we get to do. It's, it's, but it won't it, be long. It won't be long before there'll be people completing, uh, creating their paintings completely on AI and then painting that. And then you know, here's the issue with all of this uh, for me. It's within a generation, things can completely go away, right? Yeah. Like I grew, up with, I grew up on the East Coast back in New Jersey with the newspaper. My dad picked up the daily news every Sunday. And as a little kid, we'd stop at the bakery, <laughs> get buns and rolls, and I'd go home and I'd have my 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 milk and and my roll and I would read the comics and I'd read the paper and there's a way it, the paper feels the way it sounds uh you know uh everything even the way a paper smells that you becomes part of this whole thing but within a generation or two people have a kindle they don't know the difference and they don't care so I think there uh, I think it's really incumbent on the people that do care out there to 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 be vocal and to be clear about the difference between what these things are. I mean, they're, they're coming up with robots now that will be able to do anything for you, male and female. And so, so, so if, 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 if that's, if you look at everything, even uh, my example is COVID. Okay. Um, at the beginning of COVID, most people just didn't do the math. It's all multiples. The average person, if they're infected, could possibly infect 50 other people. And, and within weeks, when everybody was going, oh, it's nothing, it's just flu, it's this, it's that, it went from 1,000 cases to 10,000 to 100,000, and it just exponential because we don't want to think that way. I think AI is going to be the same issue. I think ChatGBT, while it is a huge convenience for people, it's going to do away with editors. It's going to do away with writers uh, uh, for, for, for the average person. If you had a brilliant editor, think about it. They could start their own magazine, right? They could just say, these are the articles I want to write. They plug in you know, a real rough basic, basis uh, idea. There's an article. How do you want it written? And what type of vernacular? You know, Do you want it in Old English? Do you want it like this? Do you want it like that? This is going to happen fast. The same way people got sick fast. And it's going to happen underneath everybody else's nose. Look at, look at what happened with electric vehicles. It, it's so funny as human beings how little we learn over time. All of the arguments against electric vehicles were the exact same arguments against the internal combustion engine. Right? My horse can just go and eat grass on the side of the road. Where am I going to fill up this thing? You know, blah, blah, blah. This is all going to happen very quickly. And I just think that, that uh, already a lot of the art is purely pictorial. A lot of the art that's becoming very popular, it, is, it can be very beautiful and well done. But like I said, it's like a, looking at a high def television. And what we're used to is high def. I mean, what's happening is look at French Impressionism. It's increasingly looking more and more raw and simplified. Mm. But 100 years ago, I don't think French Impressionism looked 
to the average person near as simple as it does to the people that view it today because of they've got 60 inch screens in their homes and you know you can see the pores on somebody's face and because we've got many many artists out there right now that are you know doing these really you know certainly well painted but absolutely highly rendered images that are you know strongly photographic so what's going to happen is they're going to go well if that's easy then this will be easier then i will move into ai and then like i said i think after a, there just seems to me and it's a gut sense that i share this with you i'm not any expert on any of this stuff i just think it's a matter of uh, if you look at the past and you look at you know or, or anything think about uh relationships often they're over long before people even realize it or address it right it, it's just human nature to to lag behind and i think this thing that everybody thinks is so great with chat gbt and all that is going to put a lot of people out of work mm. i mean i remember when i started in advertising i'm 60 i'm a good bit older than you are and you know back in the day you had a production manager you had an art director you had graphic designers you had illustrators you had photo retouchers Within a very short period of time in the mid 80s, when the Macintosh came out, you didn't have to be skilled anymore to, to do any of that stuff. You know, you could be a, a secretary that understood uh, how, how to use Quark. And all of a sudden, you, they, they, you know, you could say, OK, well, then guess what? I'm a graphic designer now, and I'm an art director and I'm an illustrator because I can grab swipe and I can manipulate it in Photoshop or whatever I want to do. And so. All, all of those positions went away. I mean, creative directors, when I was like at the very end, I worked with a handful of brilliant creative directors. I mean, they were brilliant. They would do these thumbnail drawings for ads or, or brochures that were so clever and so thoughtful. And they got paid a lot of money per hour to do that. And within a very short period of time, that all went away. So this, the, the, all these time-saving things, I think, are going to take us further and further away from connection. Yes, you'll be able to get images faster, and they will look great, uh, and they will be, you know, uh, whatever you, you tell it that you want it to be. And then uh, I, I just think at some point, look, there's, there's us, and then there's, there's, there's this technology. And I think, you know, we've come to this place where we're kind of getting like this. But after a certain point, it's just going to keep taking and taking and taking and taking from the humanity side of things. I think it's impossible to have both. I think to maintain humanity, even though that people really want, they say they want that. In the end, it always comes down to the dollar, doesn't it? You know, what if you don't have to hire writers anymore for a magazine? What if you don't need staff writers? You know, what if you don't need an editor? You know, some kid in his basement in Seattle is going to be turning out their own magazine, right? And like I said, I just think this is, I think it's a very slippery slope that we're on. And that's why creatively, I'm just, I, I, I'm not getting on that bandwagon. I know about it. I worked in the business. But I don't like, uh, there's a certain slickness and a certain cleverness and slickness and cleverness have never been traits that I've been attracted to in people or anything else. Like to me, honesty and connectivity. Um, you know, I'd rather hear a, 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 an eight-year-old tell me about their day 
than listen to some of these influencers out there uh, blowing hot air, you know, about how they're going to change your life with this and that. And when all they're doing is kind of reinventing whatever's been done already. And there's far too many words being used, you know. T- talking about the kid in his basement creating a magazine by himself. I saw this thing where, where this guy was talking on stage to a bunch of content creators. I mean, that's a thing now, content creator, influencer. It's so bizarre. That but, cracks me up. Yeah. yeah. And, and and I mean, when I when I look at it, I, I guess I could wear that label. Sure. But I, I just I just like doing stuff and, and I'm just throwing myself into it. But this guy. I look at how much effort goes into write all the copy. I write all the copy. I, I make the posts. I I direct and I, I I do all the filming. I make the paintings. I, I do the whole thing. And I saw this guy going, and you can you can take the transcripts of somebody else's YouTube video, right? You can then get mm-hmm. that transcript. Feed it back into ChatGPT. ChatGPT will then feed back out uh, a, a different version of that exact transcript. Now you've got an original script. Now you use that for yeah. your video and you know have them generate the, the, the through Midjourney or Dolly the, the art to go along with that. Now you've got a YouTube video ripping somebody else's off. And so this guy was talking about, isn't this great? Isn't this clever? But then I thought, I wonder what people actually feel about this. How do they actually feel? And so you read the comments on that post and they were just ripping it to shreds, just going, this is wrong. This is plagiarism. It's, co- it's copyright and, infringement. Yeah, Absolutely. And, yeah. And, and, but, but they might get around it technically going, no, it doesn't say the same thing at all. But it's the spirit behind it that is the thing that I, I think at the end people are really that are going down this road we're missing the point i think at this day and age we've got access to so much information we're drowning in information but we're starving for wisdom as tony robbins says and <laughs> and i i really feel that that is so true that again we're more depressed than ever we we abuse substances more than ever we're more lost than ever we're more you know just down and out and 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 yeah than than ever why and it's because this thing has come up whether it's ai or something else but we've been slowly over time that wedge has been getting bigger and bigger and bigger that separates us from who we really are and and again joe there's something about talking to you where i feel like this really is for me I hope you don't mind me saying this, but this is this is really selfishly an opportunity for me to check back in because you do you remind me of these things that are actually important. You know, from that chat that we had that I turned into a video and I shared that with my academy students, or or just talking here, you know, even chatting back and forth on Instagram. It's this it's just just little little button that's like okay, just remember, okay, now we're back on track, <laughs> keep going, kind of thing. I'm really grateful well, I just, for that. I, you know, I, well, you you know what? It's it's a pleasure, and I'm just glad that anything that we talk about, if it makes a difference or it helps in a good way, I'm I'm gratified. Um, but I always think of Anthony Bourdain. I, I was always been a fan of uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, and because uh, he had this, he always spoke out of his heart, and he wrote beautifully, and yet he. I mean, he would you know, he dropped the f bomb, and he would just like he had this wonderful mix. Of, or that proximity of opposites, which I love in a painting or in anything else in life, for that matter, 
this kind of raw honesty combined with um really eloquent and elegant uh descriptions of things where he would you know at the end sum up a show and and it was really moving because you can you could feel the man's heart in when he spoke and that's what interests me you know um because i've heard orators when i was a kid you know you you'd hear a priest in church and you know, he's phoning it in. You can tell who's, uh, you know, uh, when, when somebody gets up on stage, if they speak with their heart or they don't speak with their heart. You know, every time I've given this talk on authenticity and creativity around the country here, I've done it, I don't know, 18 times in the last 20 years. And to, and to some quite big groups, I think the biggest was almost a thousand people. So it's very intimidating. But I always, when I'm getting mic'd up, I always go, okay, I really feel like this is something I'm supposed to be talking about. Help me find the words. This is not about me. This is about something bigger. And it's about something bigger that's slipping away. Authenticity has become a stupid-ass buzzword now. Everybody's dropping it. But, you know, they talk about authenticity, and yet you, you see the stuff that they do uh, on Instagram or whatever to grab attention. And, and I, the incongruity is, is profound. And I just, you know, every anybody will do anything to grab attention at this point. And these influencers or people that call themselves influencers and all that kind of stuff, you know, whether they're bouncing around and, you know, scantily clad in one minute and, you know, and the next minute they're espousing, you know, a mic macrobiotics and healthy eating and this and that. Like there's all of this incongruity that's going on out there. You know, artists, you know, doing all kinds of things to get their paintings, all these little tricks. And I, it just doesn't interest me. I understand, you know, doing a reel or something like that. I understand getting your work out and the importance of of, uh, of these tools. But there's something, um, like I said, there's the integrity part of it for me. Like you can never get it back when you sell your soul. You know, years ago, um, uh, uh, the, what's his name? Kincaid, the painter of light. <laughs> I love that he trademarked that painter of light thing. Um, he 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 became exactly what he wanted, and I'm not being unkind. He wanted to be have his art everywhere. He wanted to be insanely wealthy, and he made more money with his art, I think, historically than anyone ever had, if you want to call it art. But you know, all of a sudden, he wanted to be legitimized. And I found out through the grapevine, people that were there, that there was, this is many years ago, that there was a, a, a plein air event organized out in California, that he was behind it. And uh, so they got all these legitimate, you know, fine painters, and they all show up on the first day. And, and who drives up in a van with a camera crew and his paint box? Uh, King K. So Kincaid had orchestrated this thing so he could be seen with these other painters. But I, I think once you do that, you know, once you sell your soul like that, if you want to be on coffee mugs and you want to be on hats and T-shirts and all that kind of stuff, that's fine. But don't turn around and all of a sudden you want to be considered this other thing, too. And I, I think with what we do, we have to be very careful. I really do, because. I just don't think you can you you can't buy that back, you know. And I'll I'll walk away from something if I if I think it's going to um, take away or or in some way denigrate the integrity that I've I've worked so hard to build. 
well, you know, over, over the time I've been, you know, in this career, if you want to call it that, you know, this idea of, you know, painting for the right reasons. And, you know, I, I'd be painting other things if it was just about money, you know, and a lot of artists change the genres that they're working in. And I understand why they have families to support and all that stuff. I get it. It's not a big, you know, awful judgment. It's just, uh, it's just what it is, you know? And, uh, you know, people say, well, will you ever do prints? I've never done prints, but I, I said, I'll never say never. If the situation was right, maybe I would do a print. I don't I begrudge people doing prints. All I, all I think of is in the end, uh, we are all judged by, by time, you know, not by each other, but by time. And if you look over uh, the career of, a, of many, many different artists, there's at least for all of the people that are coming up today, there are a lot of cautionary tales out there. And I think that's healthy. You know, and 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 now you're not allowed to say anything about anything because you're always going to offend somebody. And I, I don't buy that garbage. It's ridiculous. You know, I just think the bottom line is you don't have an opinion. And it's really important to have an opinion, particularly with your own work. You know, if you're agnostic, if you're always trying to placate everybody and do the ultimate painting that everybody's going to love. I mean, that you really, that's, you should be doing in AI, you know, just, you know, what, what about what you love? What about what, what matters to you? And I, the biggest problem with what you and I are doing right now is we know we're going to be heard and be seen and being heard and being seen has a sum total effect on the choices that we make and what we do like it or not. So for the artists that are filming everything they do all the time, if you think that doesn't change what you're doing, you're deluded because there's something about solitude and there's something about the organic process that comes through solitude and the growth that comes through solitude. And so it's very different, you know, and we've talked about this, that, that particle, particle physics, the particles fired at the uh, two identical particles fired at a target. The one that was watched behaved differently than the one that wasn't. Well, if we're, a collection of billions of particles, why wouldn't we behave differently? I mean, just look at Instagram. Instagram is the Petri dish, you know? And you look at the silliness, the abject silliness that's going on out there. I can't wait 20 years for people to look back. And they're going to be laughing at this crap like they laughed at the, the short shorts that guys wore in gym class in 1970 and the big hair. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 just that people get so used to something that they don't see it for what it is. And in every period of time in history, there are certain things that we find completely reprehensible twenty years later that nobody seemed to notice at the time. If that's okay, you almost sound like like you're expecting a knee jerk reaction. I, I am too. Uh, if that's if that's what you're saying, like I, I am expecting some sort of revolt. I'm expecting something to happen where people just on on an almost a spiritual level just go, no, enough. That this is important. I think it'll happen at first slowly, but I think there will be a tipping point where we demand collectively our humanity back okay let me give you you bravo let me give you an example of exactly why you're right okay it was uh, uh, uh i don't know two three years ago 
I went out to this park out near my studio uh, to just just sit in the sun and just kind of chill out. And while I was laying up on this hill in the grass, in the sun, just looking up at the sky, I heard a boom, you know, a bang. I didn't think anything of it. I get up to leave. I gather up my stuff and I walk down and it was a box filled with leaflets of, you know, four color leaflets that had, had fallen off a truck and been hit by something else. And they were scattered all over the road. My first thought was, oh, that sucks. That's too bad. And I started to walk past it and I thought, what am I doing? So and it was starting. It was windy, and I thought, man, if 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 this doesn't get picked up, it's going to be all over the park, and they won't be able to clean it all up. It'll be, and so I just started picking up these things, right? Well, after about five minutes, an older couple came up, and they said, "Oh my God, what a mess! Can we help you?" I said, "Sure." And then two other people came up on bikes, and then uh, and then one other person, and within about fifteen minutes, we got all this stuff in the trash. And the woman that the last person that came up on the bike, I said, thank you so much for stopping. She said, thank you so much for starting. And I just thought how easily it would have been for me just to walk right by that. And, and I certainly, you know, I'm not doing any virtue signaling by sharing this with you. I'm telling you because I almost walked right by it myself, but simply starting and simply doing something made other it made other people think about it or realize and i think the conversation that we're having it the reason i think it's it, it has potential importance over the long haul i think we need to pay attention to all of this stuff the the the, the narcissism uh, to quote my wife that's parading as self empowerment online right now is repulsive and it's just sheer narcissism the daily selfies and the this and the that and the, you know, it, it's, you know, like I, I said this long time ago, you know, why, why not instead, you know, uh, do, you know, take a day off and perform an everyday act of kindness How about that. Instead of taking a picture of yourself, why don't you go up, you know, and, and uh, you take somebody to the grocery store that needs a ride or call a friend who's lonely or down or whatever. Certainly enough of them out there, enough people struggling, you know, and I just feel like we're too in ourselves. And this, this self-empowerment thing is completely out of hand. I think this idea of community and giving and putting things out there that are of value or like I had said, I think I had shared with you one of my favorite quotes from this book I read years ago. Uh, he said, always give a greater use value than the cash value that you ask for something. And that flies in the face of, you know, what they teach you about business, about winning at all costs, right? It's like if I work with a gallery or if I work with a collector, uh, I, you know, I, it's not all about me. I want them to be happy. I want them to feel uh, gratified and, and, and feel good at the end of the, the, whatever that transaction is. And, you know, likewise, you know, with posting stuff, um, I don't know. Every once in a while, I'll find a quote that I find really beautiful or something that I think is uplifting, you know, and put it out there. And um, just because uh, all this other stuff, it, it just it's it's becoming a, just a scrum out there. And and I, you see these people in the gym, you, you work out, I work out. You see these people doing this stupid stuff in the gym where they're hanging from a piece of equipment with a chain around their neck with weights on it. And then they, they break their neck or they fall down and snap their knees or it, it, it's just 
everything is amped up and amped up and amped up. We don't know how the hell to be quiet anymore. And this all goes back to this AI stuff that you're talking about. This all goes back to being seen. You know, go dark for a while. You know, a lot of the time, I don't even have the radio on. You know, I've had friends that I pay, you know, that I painted with over the years and they're always plugged in. They got music going. They're filling the interstice of every space in their life with something. You know, this idea of, of, of being quiet. Really being quiet. And like I said, that that's part for me. And then this other part is just this kind of repulsive cult of self that and and. You know, if, if if this conversation helps people, then that's fantastic. You know, years ago, I read a book, uh, uh, Conversations with God, it was called. And I, I thought, what a scam. What a really, what a way to, you know, get people's attention for a book. Um, uh, and all of a sudden, I, I don't know what page it was. I got stuck. My, my, my wife threw it in the car. I got stuck in traffic. I was driving back to the East Coast to see my daughters. And... Um, Got stuck in a traffic jam on I-80 and it was 100 degrees outside. And I pulled off on one of those roadsides at a McDonald's and I sat and I opened the book. And of course, I'm just a, a, a total skeptic about everything. And then I don't know what page it was, but it was supposedly the question was asked, uh, why should anybody believe any of this? And the answer was, what difference does it make if these words help you? And I thought, oh. Okay, got me. Because whoever was writing the book was not, they wouldn't, that, that wouldn't have come from them. That came, wherever it came from, came from someplace else. Point being, what difference does any of it make as long as it helps you? You know, if it, it helps you uh, be a better painter, a better person, more connected, more loving, more kind, more, you know. And uh, frankly, I don't think any of this, uh, the stuff that gets so heavily rewarded, uh, speaks to much of that you know i think this like i said it's 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 just pure narcissism parading is self-empowerment well how then how then I, I i'm feeling really conflicted right now joe because i i agree with everything you're saying you know we're we're very much of the same mind there but at the same time here i am you know and a lot of people listening to this are the same way asking that question going, okay, but we, we have social media now. We have the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the TikToks, and the YouTubes. How do you then balance this stuff out with being heartfelt, you know, feeling your way through your process, creating art that is, that is truly authentic, not just using that as a buzzword, but getting that thing that's in you that needs to come out by hitting It's a great button, question. How do you balance that out with also making this work? Because at the end of the day, like this is how you and I pay the bills. You sell paintings, you teach people on art tours. Um, shout out to Corinne, who I understand joined you recently on one of your your trips. Corinne Witten. Yes, Italy, the Italy workshop last year. Yeah. Yeah. So so how do, how do you do that? How do you create great art and at the same time take advantage of some of these opportunities, but don't lose your head? Well, I remember a good uh, a friend of mine, really talented artist, Jeffrey Larson, uh, you know, saying he talked about having different hats. You know, he said, when I paint, I put on my painting hat. When I when I'm doing business, I put on a business hat. 
You know, there is the, the problem is when things become uh, nebulously uh, entangled with each other. Like when I'm painting, uh, I'll tell you, and 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 I would implore people to do this. I'm sorry, but I do believe in this. I wander and I wonder and I daydream and I bring a sketchbook with me and I go outside and I smell it and I run my hands over the trunk of a tree and I like everything about the sensory aspect of it being in the day, the gift of the day, right? What is that? And if you, like I said, if you start from a very pure place and a place that's filled with gratitude and some measure of humility uh, and, 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 and go after something, it goes back to what we talked about. It goes about the origin of it. If the origin of it is, oh, my God, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to knock it out of the park and I'm going to get, you know, 10,000 likes. And because I, I know through the algorithms that if I paint this particular type of painting with these colors or whatever, you know, but we've 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 confused popularity with substance and greatness. They're they're com completely confused now. Popularity is not greatness. You know, matter of fact, you know, who a great quote. You're going to love this. Corbet. I, I love how uh, florid and over the top a lot of these French people were French artists. And he said, he goes, I didn't come here to gather gold. I came here to make glorious shapes expressing godlike sentiments. <laughs> oh, man, I love that stuff. You know, it, it's. There's, it's like I said, it all, it's all the origin of it. It's all where it starts, where it comes from. You know, if, 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 if it's all about the ka-ching, you know, if it's all about you just being noticed all the time, then you're going to make those choices that are going to take you to those places. Those places will eventually steer you away from uh, an organic path and steer you towards an inorganic path. Because when you're thinking organically, that's the reason I might have mentioned to you, we might have talked about this, why I believe, uh, and I'll catch hell for this, but that's okay. I believe Pollock's work was completely externally motivated. And I say that because of all the reading I've done and his words, not mine. He wanted relevancy. He wanted to kick everyone's ass. He wanted to, he wanted to like, they were basically seeing whose girlfriend or wife they could sleep with. They were drinking, having drinking contests. It was a big, stupid, macho scrambling for relevancy right and 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 all of a sudden he went from painting like thomas hart benton to 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 uh doing the drip painting and and it it had to, it had this moment of resonance and it clicked and he picked up clement greenberg and clement greenberg was his champion for a while before you know greenberg went on to other people but the, the point is when people kept saying jackson what's next he he, he, he ended up killing himself. There wasn't anything next because it wasn't, in my belief, organic. Because when you're studying organically, you always come to natural forks in the road. When you go, oh, I wonder if, if, I, if I, now that I'm doing it this way, what if I do it this way? But if you're constantly reinventing yourself from an external place, i.e. somebody like Madonna, right? Every 10 years, she becomes a new persona, right? She becomes something else. That's her that's her gift is actually becoming somebody else, not being herself. Or her handlers hand her a new script. Well, all of it. Right. <laughs> but again, my, my, my point being that 
that this if if you study a lot of the paintings a lot of the new york school painting boy there was a big uh, macho scrum going on out there where they were all elbowing each other at the cedar bar and talking about who was the greatest and this and that and who was doing the next thing what's the next thing and that next thing was always about an idea people were not talking about what they loved they talked about what they thought it was always about the thought and by the time i got to art school in the 80s when when uh, keith herring was big and julian schnabel and warhol was still in full swing it was all about the concept what is your concept they used to say all the time I'd hear it in the painting class. What's your concept? What's your concept? What's your concept? And when I had the audacity uh, in the art history class, we had a, a professor who was friends with a lot of these famous painters. Uh, and of course, uh, liking uh, Andrew Wyeth was, uh, uh, you know, tantamount to, uh, you know, being Hitler. You know, his work was, uh, she said, oh, no, his work is trite and sentimental trite and sentimental and it summarily dismissed like a lot of representational painting is. Uh, I, and, and so where I just come down with it is I just say, well, paint what you love. And if you love working non-objectively, then do it. Connect to your subject and, and whatever your form of expression is, is fine with me. I'm not anti anything other than connecting to something genuinely. When art becomes about ideas, we again lose humanity. It's concept. I'm sorry. Chuck Close was not a great painter. Again, I'll get crucified for this. I don't care. When I was in art school, we gridded up self-portraits and we painted in the squares. And essentially, that's what he did his entire life. But we've when, once somebody has been made, as the mafia says, it doesn't matter what they do. They're, they're, they're blue chip at that point. Like I said, I'd rather look at uh, an honest... Uh, attempt by somebody who loves what they're doing to connect to a subject than, than this clever idea-based uh, kind of stuff, you know? And, and if you look at, uh, uh, there was a recent, I'm trying to think of the name of the uh, movie uh, that I watched about the art world, uh, Blurred Lines, it's called. And it was, it was uh, a documentary and it fairly terrifying. You know, and it documented uh, some of the uh, blue chip artists of today, Damien Hurst or Jeff Koons, who both have uh, stables of artists who create all the work. Right. And they they affect a casual uh, 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 boredom or indifference. And yet they're mugging for the camera at the same time. You know, they know how to play. You know, Warhol was a genius because he knew how to play the ennui of the time that we're living in, right? It, he affected this total boredom with doing his work. He says, oh, yes, I just give my, I take the Polaroid, I give it to Bridget. She sends it over to Mr. So-and-so, and he chooses all the colors. I don't even choose the colors. I mean, he was very honest about it. And yet we, 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 we put all these people on pedestals. Jesus, tell people what you love. That's like I said to you before, that's where the risk is. The risk isn't sharing an idea. The risk is telling the world what you love because then you're exposed. That's why people don't tell the world what they love. You know, most people live in, in abject anonymity that way. Or, you know, even plenty of people in the, in the art world, in the representational art world, 
they follow the trodden path. They know what's already been appreciated, what's already been liked, right? It's like eating somebody's pre-chewed food. It's easier to digest, perhaps, you know? I don't know. Like, to, to me, where's the risk? You know, I love when I, I looking at Charles Birchfield or Hopper or, or, or uh, um, George Bellows. I like these people that go out into the world and, and in the midst of all these other artists, through their through their vision and their sensitivity that they find this field of view that's slightly different that interests me you know people that stay curious they're not done they're not so clever that their technique is so refined that every painting looks like every other painting you know you know then you have a product right but that that's the key word there isn't it though uh, that that <laughs> risk is it has got to be has got to be a vital component to this i and and it is it, it is terrifying putting yourself out there um i i heard something in a movie just to just reflect on this personally i i heard this line from a movie years and years ago i can't remember what it was from but it's a moment where somebody was giving a younger man or, or, or a boy advice. You know, you liked a girl and this guy was saying, you know, all it takes is 20 seconds of stupid courage, you know, taking a risk. And I think about that, like I wouldn't have met my wife, Rachel, if I hadn't have taken a risk of making an absolute fool of myself to ask her out. And yeah, I, just, know, I did say I did the same thing. I just yeah. think after a certain point, you, you um I think, like I said, what it all goes back to the origin of it, right? Mm. It's like complimenting somebody. There are people that compliment people because they have an ulterior motive, and there are people that will compliment someone just out of, out of a real genuineness. And I think people can tell the difference between the two. Yeah. You know, I was sitting there at the table at a cafe um, with my girlfriend, and Rachel was our waitress. Why? <laughs> so talking about taking a stupid risk. <laughs> but it worked out. We've been together 14 years. She's the love of my life. She's my best friend. And I just think if I hadn't, hadn't have done that in that moment, you know, we wouldn't be here. And, you know, now with a beautiful baby boy. And it's just, but, but that, it's that risk that could also lead to something in our work. I, I really hope that people take a moment to just let these words land you know, and and if if you've ruffled some feathers, look, I, I imagine you have. I, I I like Chuck Close, some of his stuff, but it doesn't matter. As you said in the beginning, like this is this is your opinion. I I take so much of what you're saying, and and I allow it to land for me. And you're hitting on so much, Joe. There is something else I wanted to bring into the mix because, mm -hmm. you know, this is also reminding me of something spiritually. Now, people that listen to the podcast, maybe have been here for a while or if they're new and they, they haven't heard the podcast before. You know, I have talked about my faith in, in podcasts and there, there, are, there are certain scriptures that are kind of firing off in my mind as you're talking. And it almost seems like when you get overly... And, and I, I, it's just something that popped into my mind, and I don't know if I'm on the right track. But and again, I'm a newbie Christian, so I, I'm not even that well versed in, in scripture. But to me, this emphasis on concept or idea or getting caught up in your head, it's almost idolatry in a way. And what I mean by that is it's something external that 
is not intended for you, but you get fixated on it. You put it up on a pedestal and you start chasing this thing. And as you chase it, you get further and further away from who you're meant to be at your core spiritually and what God had intended for you. Now, that's just the way I choose to look at it because I feel like I've got something in me that needs to be expressed, but it's not even something that I can really take responsibility for or credit for. I take responsibility for it, but I, I can't take credit for it, for it because it's not me. But I also feel like I'm doing a disservice to not find that resonance with what I'm meant to be doing. Uh, let me give you an example. When I'm scrolling on my phone, right, and, and I find myself doing this from time to time, I hit that little magnifying glass on the Instagram app and I'm like, what, what art's being produced today? It's almost that difference between looking at some of this great art, photographic art, big art, hip art, popular art versus, I, I remember this, this just happened. I was on a chopper. I got dropped off on top of a mountain. I'm looking at yeah, this Yeah, I saw you. Well, what landscape. is with all this... Uh... What dude, is with dude. all this Hawaii Five-O crap you're doing? Next level. Oh, dude, no, next level. But I tell you what, I tell you what. Oh, Joe, I'm balling. I'm balling. No, no, but but I tell you what, man. When I was there looking at this scene, I'm like, this is a friggin' painting. I have got to paint this. And suddenly all this stuff started flooding in. It was just me and the landscape. And it was just awesome. And... It's not a, a reaction to anything, but it was a resonance thing. And, and that, to me, there was something about that that was, that was honest. In a sense, I've kind of lost touch with that idea. I want to get back to it now after talking with you, you know, and, and, and hit that again. Get well, that's, that why you just, again. I, that's why I think getting, getting outside is the key. Mm. You know, I think I told you I wrote a little piece uh, that's on the... It's on my homepage on my website on why paint plein air. And one of the things I talk about is, is that, that you engage all of your senses in the dome of the experience. So all of your senses radiate out like spokes in a wheel touching the dome of that experience. So those are all receptors. When you're in your flipping studio, you got the music on and the heat's on and the lights on and it's all artificial, everything around you. You know, it's even when uh, I don't even, uh, you know, when I hear people go, well, no, I didn't actually paint at all outside, but I did take my photographs outside. And I go, okay, that's fine, but that's not really the same thing, right? I mean, it's, uh, it's I don't know. I, I just think that every every sense that you engage in the experience opens up that thing. The fact that we have to work quickly outside engages the potential for risk. So I, I just think that, yes, you can certainly do all of your work in the studio, but it's not the same thing. It's a different thing. And just don't pretend they're the same thing because they're not the same thing. You know, when you are enveloped within an environment that affects everything, right? That's why uh, if I spend too much time in my studio, my, my wife, Natalie, always go, Joe, you know, the answers are always outside for you. They're always outside. Get outside. Because then I end up in my own head. And that's one of the reasons, like when I work on these real big paintings uh, outside that I started a year ago, two years ago, um, I try to bring them as far as I can outside, but I never try to finish them outdoors. Because I don't want to try to, to force something. 
What I want to do is get the essence of it, get it refined, organized, bring it in, and then look at it, that final 10 or 15%. I want to make conscious subjective choices, but uh, this is the truth. And it sounds really self-indulgent and decadent, but I'm, I'm going to make a huge uh, admission here. Sometimes I'll stare at, a, at that canvas for two days before I have the courage to touch it. Because when it was done outside, it was pure connection between me and the subject. Now, all of a sudden, I'm in my head. And I do not want to destroy the, the, uh, the connectedness of that process by my own uh, limited thought process, if you will. And so I'll stare at it and I'll go, okay, talk to me. Let the painting talk to me. What does it need? What is the biggest thing that's, that's, that's missing right now? Is there a transition that could be better between these two passages? And, and I try to, I just don't go in ham handedly trying with, with a big computer screen next to me, trying to render the painting into existence. I stare at the painting. I barely, I'll, I'll take a reference photo, but I don't look at them very much. I just look at the painting. You know, I'll go, okay, you know, is this, you know, is this color value transitioning in, into that? Is my eye moving through the shapes? Is there something stopping me? And, and gradually I'll get back into the painting, but I'll be able to get back into it uh, in a way where I'm not damaging the beauty of the connectivity of that experience, which I've done plenty of in the past. So. Well, your work is just beautiful and really, really inspiring, Joe. Oh, um, thank you. It's and, and when I see those those posts, I will own one one day. I, I I'm, I'm saying to you right now, I will own one one day because I just it's it's really really amazing stuff. Tell me then, I, I what what's next for you on, on this journey? I mean, you're you're thinking big stuff you're doing some big stuff i mean that painting behind you by the way is enormous and i we saw this last time but it's one of my favorites which is you know it, it, for people listening to the audio version i really hope you get a chance to see the video version which is available to my online academy but these paintings are just stunning tell me a little bit for the people that might have missed our first conversation I, i'd love to hear about process and share that with people as well, if you don't mind, because you you've got something, you've got something, you got a particular approach. I, I had something in mind when I was going out playing air, and I was kind of sticking to that, and and that's dangerous because when you get set in your ways, and you don't veer beyond that, you you can miss stuff. And I realized after talking to you that there might there there might be a way that I could improve it. You know. Yeah, I just uh, I, I just try to stay open every time I go now. Mm. And it's funny because I was trained in this prismatic palette and, and uh, it was referred to as a string palette. You know, you had values of gray, values of blue and white, values of green in, you know, a nine value string. Uh, this was originally uh, I won't get into the weeds on this with you, but the point being that I work with an open palette now, but with the understanding of the nuance that I was trained with in terms of real acute, clean, uh, subtle value separation and color separation and you know, uh, prismatic color and being able to shift color front to back in a painting. But what I do is I, I, you know, I, I'm always fascinated by the things that people drive by and all of these big paintings. And I think there's another one on my website. Uh, I don't know if, I don't know if I can turn the camera slightly. 
don't know if you'll be able to see it up on the wall. Uh, I was looking at something else and I walked by and I'm like, oh, there's an idea there. This greenhouse in the snow with this gnarled tree and this fence falling down and like everything about it, that sense of arrested decay, which I absolutely love. And this certain kind of unpretentiousness of people that are just, you know, doing the best they can to survive. I love that. You know, um, I grew up with a dad, you know, worked on the railroad and, and, uh, you know, wonderful mom and dad, hardworking people. And, and the neighborhoods looked like that. And, and it's one of the reasons I had a hard time painting like up on Cape Cod or whatever, or Nantucket, because everything is, is become a, a packaged fantasy of what it used to look like. And, uh, I like things that are what they are. And I saw this this greenhouse and I'm like, Oh man, my, it was freezing. And I did a thumbnail first. And I think there's a little video on my site that somebody actually a student of mine made for me. And it said that the, the drawing, the sketch, and then the block in, and then the painting. And, um, and I did this drawing. I'm like, there's something here. And that's where you, you're talking about the resonance. It's not a thought. It's a vibration that I feel in here. I'm like, Oh, there's something here something here so that i i took pencil to, to to my sketch pad i i i went out i went back to the studio got a good sheet of paper and went back out and did another drawing I took it a little bit further with not it wasn't i wasn't looking to do a drawing to do a finished drawing i was looking to capture the essence of it and rhythmically connect all the shapes and then i did a drawing of that and i'm like that's it there's there's something there and then i brought out the big canvas and blocked it out outside. And then I did a lot more finishing on this one inside because, uh, you know, winter had gone away by then. And, and uh, you know, it was another season uh, this coming year and the fence was repaired. And so I had to, you know, work with my sketches and, and reference to, to finish it off. But again, that it's always uh, the more that I'm just happy when I'm working outdoors. I don't mind being in the studio if most of the painting was done outdoors. That doesn't bother me. That's fun. But the idea of doing a whole painting in the studio, which I've done plenty of from sketches, is not near as, as exciting or energizing or, um, you know, I can do it, but it doesn't bring that same level of satisfaction and joy. Right. So, so how would you then finish finish off one of those bigger paintings? Would you have, you know, you've got your plein air work, but we, and you've got a, a fantastic start, presumably. But do you need any additional reference at all to be able to really get the rest? Yeah, you know, I'll take a photo. I will always take yeah. a. I'll take a photo reference. I'm not object to doing that at all. Okay. You know, but there's a lot of work that's done on the on the painting itself. Like, how much work do you actually do on the house? Right. Do you want to render every clapboard on the house? I don't want to do that. What I'm fascinated by right now is this this marriage of uh, elegance and violence coexisting in the marks on a painting. It's what I love about George Bellows. Like I love the coexistence of opposites. Right. It's the proximity of opposites that create the greatest excitement in something. And so, you know, toward that end, it's one of the reasons I steer away uh, from rendering, because what rendering often produces is you might have an image that looks, you know, uh, refined and photographic, but all the marks are the same size and scale. And 
for me, large marks, mid-sized marks, and small marks, right? That that I'm never painting with a manner. I hate manneristic painting. That's just me, right? I, I mean, uh, I, I'm sure the ghosts of of uh, of uh, the impressionists are going to strike me down for this, but you know. Uh, I love Monet for what he did, but that big square stroke he used for half his career was same big flat mark all over the painting. And then what happens is it nullifies the little differences in character that can bring something to a, 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 an exquisite uh, realization without being photographic, right? So for me, the mark is always in service of the thing that I'm trying to paint. I'm never, I, I don't have a, and I'm not clever. I don't, I, I'm not clever. I don't like clever marks. I don't like sword play. I don't ever talk about uh, uh, paint quality or, or brushwork or calligraphy, as it were. I mean, there are courses in that stuff. And I've had students who, you know, who've studied with this person and that person. And of course, they're always dropping the first names, right? Uh, which is very funny, you know, and uh, it's like, okay, we know that you studied with all these people. That's great. And somebody else fold their arms and indignantly say, talk to me about brushwork. <laughs> and I say, no, I will not talk to you about brushwork. Talk to you about character. That I'll talk to you about all day. How is that rock that you're painting different than that dry grass, than that piece of broken concrete? Tell me, verbalize it. How about you? How about you struggle to find the marks to say that thing? Why not? Because guess what? Then the world opens up to you. Then you're paying attention to things that most people don't pay attention to. goes back to that thing of that nuance that I was talking about. You know, I've taught how to, you know, underpaintings for years. I did a little, one of the paintings I did on Catalina, uh, I think on my Facebook post, they, they, they put the, underpa the underpainting side by side with the painting. And, and you know, it looks, you know, People go, oh, okay, yeah, it's an underpainting, you know, blah, blah, blah. But they don't realize the care that's taken with the shapes and the transition along the edge of the, and the character along the edge of that shadow. Instead of just blocking in big shapes and whittling all the time, I'm, I'm actually at the beginning of the painting paying attention to these things. So the possibility, if it goes well, is the possibility of a highly refined aesthetic right from the get-go. And if it has that other stuff that we talked about earlier, rhythm and hierarchy and movement and feeling, then in the initial stages of the painting, it's birthed with all of that stuff instead of you trying to imbue the painting with it later. Right. So um, that, that idea of brushwork and all that kind of stuff, I just say, okay, whatever. If I'm painting clapboards on a, on, on an old house, do I use dry paint? Do I use wet paint? Do I put paint over paint in order to get to that? That's what interests me. That's all. Uh, this this sword play stuff that, you know, a lot of people love it. They dig it. And I get that. And I respect that people like that. I just don't. It doesn't interest me. I worked in advertising with salespeople. And uh, account executives are often too clever by half. And they're so clever that they don't even realize they've become transparent. And I think a lot of painting go goes that way too. You know, it's like uh, design. 
people talk about doing no tans and this and that and 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 oh, it's all about the the design and the shapes and all that's, that's all great stuff but that's all part of something overt design in a painting bores the daylights out of me somebody who's an overt designer who's got high horizon low horizon big sweeping angle going all the time it's like really really you ever walk outside on a day that's quiet and find beauty can you find a design? Could you weave a design through something so beautifully that people are being taken on a trip and don't even know they're being taken on that trip? To me, that's exciting. The possibility of that, you know? So is there is there any framework or methodology to the way you would compose something? Absolutely. I teach a course in design for painters. Right. And it's and and I actually start with line, and it's it's one thing a lot of painters completely avoid, right? And you do it with balance, unity, variety, and interesting contrast through line first. And the best way to do that is to diagram master paintings, and that's what we do in master illustrations. And when you see how these artists broke out the broke out the, and divided up that rectangle. And, and how they use, uh, you know, horizontals, verticals, and diagonals in, a, in very, very um, purposeful ways to, to elicit a, a, a feeling or an emotion or, uh, or make something more impactful. Uh, and then we move from line into limited value, four values. Take the same image with a drawing that you've done out of your head. This is what's really fun. People, people go nuts. It's a five-day, six-day workshop, and it's really effective. But uh, I put it together myself. I designed the class because I thought, look, look, you know, let's start with the basics, right? The linear aspect of something. That's why I draw. When I start, I draw with line, very free, very free, connected, rhythmic, right? Uh, it's not that I'm not thinking about the big shapes, I'm saying, is, is, is this beautiful all by itself in that rectangle, in line? Because when you diagram the, the you know, great designs historically, both illustration and great paintings, you just look at the linear aspect and it's fantastic. Imagine if you could start with that and then you're able to imbue it with a light effect that serves that and then color that serves that. Damn! You know, there's possibility of something extraordinary so yes do i have a methodology absolutely i have a methodology but it's you know it's it's a week-long workshop i mean i can touch on the basics of it with you but it's it works and everything i teach is exercise based and the best part is i have everybody draw out of their head and they go mad at the beginning right they're like i can't draw out of my head i said yeah you can you just don't know you can i said so i want three still life three landscape three portrait slash figure slash interior and uh, we're going to, you know, uh, and I want to see things from your life or your experience. I don't want to see art history. Don't try to fool me. You know, I had one woman who took a painting from one of the Boston Impressionists called the Crimson Rambler. And she did this drawing. I'm like, that's a Crimson Rambler. She goes, how do you know? I said, look, I'm useless in the real world. But when it comes to art history, man, I just I got a pretty good memory. <laughs> <laughs> but the but the point is that. People do these drawings out of their head first. And then with each exercise, we take them a step further. We deal with balance, unity, variety, and interest, and contrast. And then 
to, to, to take the genesis of an idea and then learn to treat the things that are out there from a design standpoint, those things, everything in that picture becomes an element and every element has an ascribed value within that hierarchy of that composition. And, and, and people that have worked representationally their whole life or, or come through a studio school where they learn to render an apple beautifully, they don't know what the hell to do with this because they're, they're so busy trying to copy that apple. They didn't think about that apple as a, as, you know, as a form and that form having a significance and within that hierarchy of other forms, just like designing an ad or anything else, you know, if you design an ad, what, what do you want? You want the, you want the image to grab people in the headline to, to, to intrigue them. If they're intrigued, they read the body copy. After that, they're still interested. The tagline explains everything. The logo tells them where to go to get the product or service. Well, a really good painting can do the same thing in a manner of speaking. So yes, I have a manner the way I do this. I have a process <laughs> the way I teach it. And it's very logical and it, it's really profoundly uh, um, helpful for people to learn to start to separate from just trying to copy something from being able to organize that thing. Mm. I, 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 recently I recently did a couple of uh, master copies that affected me in a way that i didn't anticipate it was it was phenomenal exercise in in just opening up my mind to another possibility and i think it will actually you know fundamentally change the way i approach painting but let me ask you so you you were saying as part of this you're looking at artists from the past, you know, and, and, and analyzing some of that, you know, just in terms of, of line and, and other aspects compositionally, but have you done in, in your past or coming up, did you do master copies? And if you were to, let me ask you this way, if you were going to do a master copy, if you were set a challenge, Joe, not that this is something that you do now, but if you were to do a master copy now, what would That's you a do? great question. I'd have to give that some thought. I really would. You know, I think I'd probably pick somebody that I that I greatly admire, you know, who who has the ability to distill what's in front of them and not render it out. I mean, I you know, I fell in love with the Russian painters 30 some years ago. Well, I think I mentioned to you when I saw Levitan and Shishkin at the show. Yeah. And, you know, Shishkin Shishkin's a novelist. You know, he puts every leaf on that fern. Somehow, magically, he ties the whole painting together, but it's busy as all get out. It's oh, a yeah. room full of redheaded stepchildren all screaming at the same time. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, um, and, and it's beautiful. But uh, I, I think the, for, for me, Levitan has the ab ability to edit and still maintain uh, a, a certain amount of verisimilitude and poetry at the same time in a painting. And, and to me, that's what's interesting. You know, if you study natural optics, it's nothing like photographic optics. You know, this one of the greenhouse that's behind me, you know, what I'm constantly doing is saying, all right, if I'm staring here, when I put a little figure up on top of the road that I added to the painting, a guy just kind of with his hands thrust in his pockets with a white scarf on walking, you know, shuffling across the road because I wanted a little spot of dark to carry over, you know, through the painting. I did a lot of compositional stuff in this thing from what was in front of me. And, uh, and, uh, you know, there's a great quote from Whistler 
uh, during the Whistler Ruskin trial where he was being criticized because his paintings weren't narrative enough. But he called them, he called them harmonies, right. And symphonies and he, he you know, art for art's sake is what came from that uh, trial, that phrase. He said, I've done a painting of a tavern with a figure, a small figure in front, black figure. I care nothing for the past, present, or future of that figure, only that black was wanted at that spot in the painting. And I, I've never forgotten that. And, and so, you know, while I, you know, I'm always trying to be, you know, truthful to the essence of the thing I'm after, I'm always designing too. Right? I'm transitioning information, I'm transitioning color, I'm transitioning value. If you look up close, if you you know if you when, when you post if you post that green painting later, you'll see how broadly painted and raw the snow is. I didn't touch it. I could have gone in and picked at it and put every little bump in there. I'm like, no, I love it the way it is. If I can transition that rawness into refinement in a way that's natural to the eye, it's so much more exciting than going in and beating the shit out of it, you know. Anyway, I, that's so if you ask where I'm heading, I don't know. All I can tell you is I'm fascinated by this, th that idea of those two things in a painting. I'll never, I don't think, ever get away from the idea of the essence of the uh, character of place. I don't ever want myself to get so in between me and the process that the it, painting is all about me. Like I said, I just find that boring. I find it boring in people and I find it boring in paintings. You know, there's some very well-known painters that I've heard speak over the years. And I was shocked, actually, frankly, at the the level of um, <laughs> self-gratification going on on page. <laughs> I was just like, really? You're saying that about yourself? It's like when people refer to their own work as these gems or this or that. I just I always have a little smile, you know. And uh, I don't know whether it's a gem or not. You decide. You're the one looking at it, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I've said too much, probably. No, no, I, I just, okay. So, so. <laughs> gosh, there's a big part of talking to you that I also feel like it's owning up time. And, and so I'm just, I, I'm kind of cautious of that. Uh, because, I mean, I, 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 you know, back to what we were saying before as well. So, so I've, I've used that term. Uh, little gems but that was my that was my intention behind a painting so in my defense for people that that read my newsletter and and are following me online when I say I, I'm, I'm trying to paint a little gem here it's my intent to create something I'm not saying I'm doing it I'm not saying it is it oh, oh. <laughs> open mouth insert foot I'm really sorry so I didn't know <laughs> no, no bro no no but but let me say something let, let me say something to that because there I had I had a universe I had a terrible time in in university um when I studied in in Western Australia I got my fine arts degree it was all idea it was all concept and so you know it's all was all idolatry and and so I but I had this one lecturer who was the jewelry 3d design lecturer and she said something to me it was so fascinating and it stuck with me ever since so 20 plus years later and she said Andrew you need to paint something that is so beautifully executed that it's like a little gem it's a little story that somebody can walk into and they can be there. well people can't walk people can't walk away from it yeah and and and, and see this is where there's well, man, you and I could just talk for hours. I'll tell you what, 
there's a difference. <laughs> there's a difference between um, uh, finish and um, and care in a painting. And and uh, like I said, the little one I mentioned to you that I just just did of that little well, it, it looks like a little canal with a stack of houses next to it. Um, there's a lot of care in it. But it, it's there, there's also areas that are very broadly painted within this thing where there's areas of great delicacy. And, and uh, you know, it, there's, I don't know, I just think we all have to find where, where we're happy with that, right? I mean, uh, and artists do need to experiment. There's been this meme going around that people have been posting. I don't know who said it, some art historian or something about the importance of artists doing bad paintings and blah, blah, blah. Now, you know, you can agree or disagree. The point being, um, you know, artists have to go through whatever evolution that they go through, right? And and um, and some people, you know, if they're getting a high degree of success doing something a certain way, they they have they often have a tendency to stay in that spot, you know, and and not go further with it. And um, all I can say is that. Uh, for me, it's, it's about pushing, you know, uh, when I'm teaching a workshop or, uh, 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 um, or doing my online mentoring, you know, I recently had a really talented person contact me. Um, and I just said, look, how, how direct would you like me to be with you? Let's just get that out right now. Right. That's really important because I don't want to waste your time. And, and, uh, and I don't want to waste my own. Your work is really competent. There's things that we can talk about if you really want to go into this, right? And so it's it's the levels of nuance that I was talking about. And if you're satisfied, there's no reason to go there. And a lot of people are satisfied. And I'm not saying that pejoratively. If you're satisfied, satisfied good for you. What do you want me to say? You know, I, mean, I, I get criticized either way. Years ago, I walked into a grocery store, okay? I see a former student of mine duck down behind the vegetables <laughs> in the store. And I kind of walk over and I go, hey, so-and-so. She pops her head up and she says, I'm not painting. And I said, and? She said, I thought you'd be disappointed. I said, why in the world would I be disappointed? I said, because I raise a high bar for you in the class, I do that for you. I said, if you're not painting, that's between you and your painting. I'm out of this completely. If you're happy, then good for you. If you're not happy, then that's up to you. You know? And and that's the thing about that's very interesting about having taught for so long. People go, Oh yeah, Joe's closed-minded and this and that. And then they find out my tastes are very broad. Very broad, what I like in terms of paintings and everything else. But if you can't teach everything, you have to teach something. And I teach real solid nuts and bolts. I help people balance their skill sets. So in the end, they're accountable. Some people don't like accountability. I can't do anything about that. You know, years ago, I taught a workshop in Cape Cod. And I had a woman that no, was California. Oh, man, that was a tough group. Wow. A lot of wealthy people in the group. And, and I guess used to being catered to and. This one woman stood there with her arms folded and glared at me for the first three days. Everything I said, no matter what, I just I could just hear the ricochets the whole time. So anyway, we spent four days outside painting and then picked one sketch to enlarge for the final three days. It was a long workshop. 
Anyway, I came over to her after, you know, she was working on her painting the first day. And I said, so what do you think? She said, I think it's great. I said, oh, do tell. <laughs> she goes, yeah, I do. I think it's great. And I said, well, I said, I really think this piece of drawing that you have over here in the picture is really thoughtful and elegant. Do you think this piece of drawing and this piece of drawing have the same degree of care in them? And she said, well, no. I said, well, why not? I said, if you could do that there, you could do that there. It's up to you. And I walked away. You know, it, it's, it, it, there's so much ego involved. And there's, you know, having taught literally thousands of people in 26 years, and training a lot of them. A lot of them study with me for multiple years. And I was able to literally, like I said, balance their skill sets. So if their drawing was weak, we banged away at it, banged away at it until they brought that drawing into alignment with their color and value understanding or their color as value understanding. So, yeah, I mean, I have a, do I have a methodology about things? I absolutely do. But it's just like training an athlete, right? So, I mean, as an artist, do you really want to be one of those people that, that, identifies themselves inadvertently by their weaknesses because you don't know how to draw. You call yourself an impressionist because you don't understand color. You're a tonalist. And I'm not saying that's always the case, but it happens frequently. So I say to the students who take my classes, you know what? How about you fail vigorously this week with honesty? How about you do that? Why don't we go after the things that you're struggling with so you get your money's worth out of this? You don't need to show me what you know how to do. I'll know. I, I, the first sketch you do, I'll know what you know and what you don't. You know? And for some bizarre reason, you talk about um, feeling called to something or whatever. I have this ability with teaching that I take no credit for. I don't think, I don't think I'm fancy or anything, but for whatever reason, I'm able to identify in hier the hierarchy of issues with people and be super direct. And if they're willing to do the work, help them move forward, no matter who they are. And it's just how honest people want to be with themselves. And like I said, the challenge is always with adults. Uh, people say, well, I don't have time. And I say, that's BS. That's BS. In six months, you could be so much better a painter if you're willing to actually go after these things. You know, if you want to throw color around and you're getting attention for it and it's working for you, God bless you. Go ahead and do it. You know, but don't give me a hard time because I'm trying to help you get better. If you don't want to, if you don't want to improve these other things, I'm not going to fight with you. I don't know. I've the one thing I've learned about teaching. I don't argue with anybody about anything anymore. This isn't a pissing match. Look, if you want to do it your way, go ahead. I don't know what you're paying me for, but help yourself, you know. Stay, stay with that for a second, though, Joe. Let, let me um, let me throw something in the mix here because what you're highlighting for me, you know, I I have this problem personally where I have a lot of trouble getting out of my own way, and it's that honesty. I mean, you, you, you talk about that. It's 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 painful to face oneself, but when you actually go into it, then suddenly there's this relief. There's this release off of you. Well, there is, always, it, especially. It's so cathartic. Like, I, I just feel like this. And, and now I kind of go into the pain. And that's what I'm doing more and more. It's like, no, no, allow yourself to be vulnerable right now. Seek that mentorship. Seek that that answer from, from somebody else. Ask, ask. 
and, and from people that you truly, you know, love, admire and respect and then see what happens. And, and I, I'm in a very fortunate, blessed position here that I have access to you. I get to talk to, you know, I spoke recently with Renato Michilo just privately. We had a fantastic conversation. Thomas Fluharty, amazing guy. Like, and every time I walk yeah. away, I'm just like, oh, yeah, I've got something else there. I've got, and, and it's just amazing, man. And and so for me, this is this has been really um, something that that was a was a painful point because when you're online, when you're on YouTube, when you're doing a podcast, when it's your thing, your name's on it, you expect that you 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 need to have all the answers. And there's one thing this year. I came out right off the bat with my online academy, and I just told them. I don't have all the answers. I'm a work in progress. We're going to learn together and I'm going to treat myself as an experiment and I want to bring you along for the ride. There was a response that I got from that. Some of those videos blew up and people were looking at it going, you just gave me permission to do the same. This is great, you know? And and that's the thing. I, I, I Enough with the pedestal stuff. Enough with the trying well, to you pretend know what? I like love, you got I, I love that. Out. I love that. I, you know, you know what it is. I, this is all I do, right? It's all I think about, Andrew. And uh, I'm not a guy that could go build the house like my brothers and my dad, or or rebuild a carburetor. This is all I think about. So when I'm in class and I give somebody an explanation or I say something, I say the two words, the two things you never have to say to me are really or do you think. Because yes, really, yes, I think. And if I thought something else, I would tell you right now. And if I find something else that's of greater truth or more useful, believe me, I'll discard what I'm doing. Yeah. But if this, if, if, you know, I'll always say, it's not because I told you so. Because I always hated that <laughs> as a child and as an adult, you know. Uh, I always give people an explanation. This is why. This is what I think and here's why. You know, you can do it these other ways, but here's the potential outcome of doing it these other ways. Mm. You know, there's a lot of different ways to get there. You know this. I was in class one time and I critiqued a student and I had a very socially awkward gentleman in class next to her who just didn't just didn't get social cues at all. And so I was critiquing this woman and I and I finished because I critique very quickly. I jokingly call it artistic triage. I deal with the sucking chest wound and then fractures and abrasions, and I move on. And it's hierarchical because a great painting, is, it's problem solving. Yeah, I could talk about 100 things, but what are the most important two things that we need to talk about right now to get you to the next square? So I move on to the next student, and this gentleman says, well, what did you talk to her about? You know, blah, 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 and this and that. And then and I was just trying to be humorous. And I said, you know, you know tend your own garden, you know. And, uh, and, uh, and he wouldn't stop. And he kept going. And I said, you know, adjust your own mask before assisting others. And, uh, and, and, um, and he still didn't get it. And I moved on to the next person. And it was just like, yes, I could have said to that woman, uh, A through Z. But A through Z is not what she needed at that moment. Because... The one thing I've learned about teaching, and because I love people, um, and I, I've always had a, a intense kind of empathy and sensitivity to people since you know I can remember. So you have to know that person. You have to get a vibe of the person who's in front of you. What's their energy level? Where are they at? How much can they accept? 
Um, uh, do they really want the full answer? Do they really want to hear all of it? Like you can tell, you get a read once you get to know people, even just a little bit, what their um, uh, capacities are. And so there's no reason to push beyond that to make a point, you know, but at the same time, I, you know, you got to read the terrain in front of you. And that's for whatever reason, that's very intuitive to me. And, and what I was trying to explain to this gentleman was, look, you know, I said to her what she needed right now. Yes, those other things might be valid things, but they're not valid in the moment. Because often when the student, I'll, I'll go through an explanation and the student will say, well, what about blah, blah, blah? I said, that's a really good question. Would you mind writing it down? And when we take a break in a little bit, ask me, because it's not germane to what we just talked about. And I know from experience that if I explain this to you, you will completely forget about what we just talked about. That's just cognition. That's just how it works. It happens all the time. I learned my lesson instead of, you know, earlier trying to please people all the time, answer every question they have. And I realized they've completely forgotten the key points that we talked about earlier. So I've just wasted twice the amount of time. So because I critique the way I do, I can get around the room with 18 or 20 students in a night six or seven times, which is a lot. So when I teach a workshop often, um, like I, you know, I taught in Italy last year and, and, uh, you know, I've had some students that have been in a lot of workshops. And they say, you get around more than any other instructor I've ever had. And I said, well, yeah, you know, but as long as you're getting what you need, you know, and there's no reason for me to spend a half an hour with somebody. No reason for it. But somebody might need 10 minutes at some point. And I say, whenever I've had a group, I say, look, if you see me spending a little more time with somebody tonight, it's because they need it tonight. When you need it next week, you'll get it. So don't look over your shoulder, you know, and because of that, I've, it's been just incredibly effective, uh, you know, for teaching. And even when I do workshops, a lot of the workshop models are based on the teacher doing a demo in the morning and the students painting in the afternoon. And again, just my opinion, my model, I do one demo and I explain everything. Uh, and then I do little spot demos as needed but i don't take the morning to every morning to do a demo when they're paying for their painting time they're they're far better off diving right into the material and me helping with it than me kind of just doing a demo every day so i've got kind of a different way that i do it sometimes than, than other people do it but um the results have been really good over the years you know a lot of good uh trained a lot of good painters and helped a lot of people connect to the world a little bit uh, better, which is how good is that, you know? Man, I'd, I would relish the opportunity to do a workshop with you, Joe. I, I just really, really would love to go and do a tour or a workshop one day soon, I hope. What's what's next for you, my friend? What What's what's next on the horizon? Yeah, what like are you I said, looking the workshops on Peach. Well, I, I enjoy the teaching. I'm doing three workshops, uh, one in Michigan, in June, one on Madeline Island, Wisconsin, which I've done every year for 12 years, uh, which I love. And then Italy again in September, October, Padula, Italy, uh, seven days. That's going to be awesome. We, the last one was five. And the, and the students that were there, and you know Corinne, Corinne was there, uh, they said they loved it. They just wished it was longer. You know, they just start getting warmed up with the painting and then you're done. You wrap it up. Yeah. So we're going to do a seven day. It's an all inclusive workshop, which is amazing. And the locations are they're, they're off the charts. 
I think if you if you look on my Instagram page, I pinned at the top the sketches that I did there. I do a little scan of those sketches, mm-hmm. and it's magical. I mean, an hour away is the town of Pestum. It's all Greek temples right by the ocean. You know, we painted up in the mountain passes with the old stone buildings and had a picnic on this mountaintop, you know, and met this shepherd with all the sheep up there and painted in town. I mean, it's, it's magical because it's, um, it's, it's, uh, there's no tourists there. You know, it's a little, it's a little, little hill town. And, and so uh, I love doing the workshops. I love doing them, but beyond that, it's just going deeper with the work. You know, I've got, you know, uh, a show in California. I've got it. I just came back, did some studies. I've got to finish some stuff up for that. But I try to avoid what we were talking about words earlier. I try to avoid the phrase painting for shows. Again, to me, it's just a word thing. I'm not painting for the show. I'm painting something for me that I'm really enjoying painting and hope somebody else will enjoy at the show, you know. And then uh, I've got, you know, I'm excited to start some more bigger work outside. You know, when you dig into something like that, it's so great, man. As long as it's not too windy, you know, the world passes me by. I did, I don't know, seven or eight paintings along Shepherd Road here with all these retaining walls and uh, and the railroad underneath it with all these old houses up on the top. And I'm standing on the median in between, you know, four lane road you know this this wide median and just the world is blowing by me on both sides and i'm sitting there trying to figure out (laughs) how how the color of limestone when it degrades and turns into dirt what is that color transition i mean it's bizarre it's really bizarre that you know that i can i can care about this stuff and somehow make a living um you know being my kind of dipshit self that I've been since a little kid. I just have always been, you know, with my head in the clouds always. And, and now I get, you know, I've just figured out how to monetize it. (laughs) But again, I I like the, the uncommon stuff, you know? So, well, let me just say, like, I, I, if you're listening to this or you're watching the video version, I'm going to post all of the links in the in the show notes to Joe's website information on the upcoming tours. Let me tell you, if you want to take your painting to the next level, do not miss this opportunity to go and study with this great artist. I mean that, Joe. Like, I, I, I would love to That's do so a workshop one, one day. And, uh, you know, when you said, hey, can you pass this information along? I'm going to share it uh, on my story. I'm going to post about it because I think people should have access to this kind of, of learning experience, this teaching. That yeah, and then I do the, I the real deal, a, man. You know, Oh, you're awesome. You're awesome to say. Uh, and, you know, the other thing is the mentoring. I still do the mentoring and once pick up a student, you know, I don't take on a whole bunch of people. Uh, uh, but uh, I love doing that because I'm working with people in Europe and Asia and all over the United States and all that kind of stuff. So that's fun too to be able to help people who can't get the information any other way. But uh, anyway, really, it's just a it's just a joy uh, to to get to visit with you, to get to know you and and uh, really appreciate your uh, transparency uh, and your willingness to put yourself out there and to talk about these things. Uh, Taking chances and taking risks, really important. I think we've lost uh, 
at least I know my son is in college. He said, there's no real discussions in class anymore because if anybody says anything that anybody finds offensive, the, the conversation gets stopped completely. Oh, goodness. So we've lo lost the, we've lost the act of Socratic discussion. And so, so have. for anything I've said that's offended anybody out there, uh, I'm not going to apologize. It's <laughs> simply my opinion. No, it's just simply my opinion and you're welcome yeah. to yours. And I'm good with that, yeah. you know? Yes. And, and and I, I and I think it's important to speak your heart, yeah. you know. And if, if you're going to make a painting that's real and that's yours, you damn well better have an opinion about things, hmm. because because your agnosticism doesn't stop outside of the easel. I I think I think people are sick of it, man. I think people are sick of 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 this garbage that's being forced down their throats, being told what to think, what to feel, how to act, what, what to, to say. What to say? Yeah, yeah. I, I think people are actually sick of it, and the and the people that are are you know really pushing this, the ones that are genuine about pushing this, I think they're desperate to be heard. And I just want to say that's not the way to go about it. You know, and, and and as soon as you give your power away like that by pretending you're a victim or somebody's got something up on you, as soon as you give your power away, then you are truly lost. You, you've got to reclaim that. It's it's not about you. Well, and, up, and try you something else. The, you hit the nail on the head. I think that it's the the difference is having something to say rather than needing to be heard or wanting to be heard, because people that say something that want to be heard, they're saying something else. Mm. You know, and and um, to elicit a response. I'm not interested in eliciting any response. I'm just pretending you and I are having a conversation and we're not on film. You know, as, and as yeah, if you yeah. and I were sitting in my studio, we'd be having the same conversation. Exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and I, I and I hope that that does come through. I'm. That's what I really would love this podcast to be, and and I hope it is. Is that it's it's a it's a space for us to actually really hash these things out. You know, they're they're the tagline on the creative endeavor is you know real conversations with real artists. It's a real conversation, and that that's the way. Well, I, I had this. I had the same discussion with Jeff Hine, and I'm so thrilled to see that you guys finally got a chance to talk because you're both doing great work do, what, putting awesome. out in the world. He's awesome. Well, yeah. you, you both are. That's why I said you yeah. guys, you guys got to talk to each other. You're both putting such good out there. Hmm. And, and, and I just think, well, what else could we, we do? Yeah. You know, I mean, and, and if, if, if a conversation is too palatable, nothing gets said. Yeah. You know, I had a friend who once who worked at one of the public radio stations and he had been there for 28 years. And with each year, uh, there was this continual stream of restrictions about what he could say and couldn't say. And so the problem is, how do you have a free-flowing conversation when you're tripping, tripping over yourself hmm. uh, not to say this or that? Because if one person called in and complained about something, then that was it. Then they couldn't say this thing. And, they couldn't. and how do you do a podcast you know, where you have a roundtable discussion with people? You know, and so, uh, like I said, I think I think you're doing what you're doing is a terrific service. And, and that's why I enjoy visiting with you, because there's a genuineness to it and and uh, and a genuine desire to put something out there that 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 could potentially be helpful for other people. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And Joe, man, thank you so much for being on this episode of The Creative Endeavor. I've loved every minute of this. Yeah, I have too, man. I look forward to one where you and I can 
you know, hop in one of your fancy helicopters and go painting sometime. Let's do it, man. Ah, let's yeah. do it. Let's go paint a mountain. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm with you. Well, I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Creative Endeavor podcast and a huge thank you to Joe Parquet for joining me. Now, once again, if you're not already following Joe, you can find him on Instagram at ParquetteJoe as well as on his website at JoeParquette.com. There's going to be some really interesting opportunities coming up to learn directly with Joe, spend some time with this extraordinary artist out in the field in Italy. Can you imagine, man, what I'd give to join him on one of his tours? It sounds like it's going to be a blast. So I'll include a link to that as well. If you can, don't miss this opportunity to learn directly from Joe. Now, if you enjoyed this episode, then please leave me a rating or a review on whatever audio podcast platform you're listening on. It makes a huge difference to the show, and I appreciate that so much. And if you want to find out more about me and what I'm up to, you just have to go to one place, andrewtischler.com. And while you're there, pick up a free copy of my new studio guide. That's oil painting techniques with yours truly. All right, I'm going to get out of here and get back to painting. I hope this one's left you inspired. I look forward to being with you once again in another episode of The Creative Endeavor. Thank you.